Hey, welcome everybody to the podcast. In today's episode, I want to talk to you about how theology has helped me navigate some of the most difficult calls I've been on as a firefighter. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome. This is the Chad Blackman podcast. This podcast is all about helping you to know, love, and defend the Word of God. Right out of the gates, I want to give you a heads up on today's episode. We're going to be talking about some heavy topics, some material that just might not be the best for young listeners. So you might want to give this a listen, uh, maybe on headphones or somewhere where those young ears aren't at, and and just give this a listen first before you let uh, your younger ones uh, listen to this episode. Now, uh, to get the ball rolling, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I, I found about 10 years ago that I really love theology. Um, I, I kind of grew up in church, uh, had a lot of different church experiences, but some of the deeper theology that surrounds Orthodox Christianity, I, I didn't really learn those things till later on. And I found that as I started going to seminary and started taking uh, some systematic theology courses and, and started to really like drill down on uh, things like Christology or things like uh, hamartiology, the doctrine of sin, started to really get down into the weeds on some of these really cool theological topics. I found that theology was very exciting for me. I loved learning. My, my brain is real curious. I love to know how things work and to see kind of the, the nuts and bolts and the inner workings. And so I, I really enjoyed like digging into why exactly do Christians believe what they believe? What is the biblical evidence? What is the theological arguments? What are the philosophical arguments? Um, one of the things you'll see as you study theology is that philosophy is very closely related. And, and I kind of found a, a new found love for philosophy. And what I started to see when I would talk with people about theology is uh, I started to see a very common response. Uh, most people saw theology as like academic exercise. It was just like intellectual sport, that it was something the the theological nerds, the seminary nerds, like you, you can go over there and talk about all this high lofty academic stuff, but it doesn't really have any application to your everyday life. Um, and I, I just kind of started to see that that distance. Um, and, and that was a bummer to me because as I studied theology, I found my heart started to really love the Lord more. I started to trust him more. Not only was my mind captivated by these deeper things of the Lord, but as my mind was captivated, it it grew affection in my heart for the Lord. And what what then even what went even further is as I moved out of full-time ministry and I became a firefighter, a full-time firefighter, I started to see all of these theological ideas I had learned about in church and in seminary, I started to see them like in real time life, started to see that they are not just intellectual sport, that these aren't just cool, fancy words and big, fancy ideas. What's in theology is actually very practical. And as I moved out of that full-time ministry into a more, I guess, normal, quote unquote, like secular, normal job, uh, I started to see, oh my goodness, this the stuff that I learned in these theological courses, I'm watching play out right in front of me. And 
uh, I'm learning how to how to deal with some of this stuff through some of these theological concepts. And this is what I wanted to do today. I, I wanted to argue today that theology is not just intellectual academic exercise, that it's actually very, very practical. And um, what I would say is that the way you think about God, because everybody has an opinion about God, everybody's got a theology, everybody has their own conception of God. And that's all theology means. It means understanding God. It's the knowledge of God. Everybody has a view of God. and, And I would say that view shapes everything else in your life. How you think about God affects everything in your life. It affects how you spend your money. It affects how you handle your kids. It affects how you plan for the future. It, it affects your marriage. It affects how you spend free time and how you rest. And I mean, it touches on every single aspect of your life. And so what I want to do today is, is show you theology is very practical. It's very helpful. It's not just big, fancy ideas. It's super helpful. And and specifically for my context, I wanted to show how some deeper theological truths of Christianity have helped me navigate some really hard calls as a firefighter. I have people oftentimes ask me, what's one of the hardest parts about being a firefighter? Is it the blood and guts? Is it the, you know, running into fires? Uh, what I oftentimes tell people uh, is that one of the hardest things is the lack of sleep, not sleeping just throws, it just throws me off. Some guys handle it better. Some women can handle it better for me when I don't sleep well, it messes everything up in my, in my heart and mind. But then it is, it is carrying the weight of really hard calls and, uh, kind of seeing these things play back, um, wishing that you could have done things differently. Uh, there's certain scenes that you just kind of, they, they kind of get burned into your mind and you just, you have to find a way to cope and deal with that. And it, it's, it's just part of the job. Um, one of the things that have helped me is thinking through life and trying to see my job through a, a biblical, theologically orthodox lens. And, and so here's what I wanted to do today. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. This isn't counseling. I'm not, I'm not qualified to do that. And I'm not pretending to do that, but I wanted to share with you some things that have really practically helped me. Um, and, and I would also say that the list I'm going to give you today isn't exhaustive. It's, it's a couple of things that I've learned, but I'm learning more things as I go. And what I would kind of encourage you as a listener, I know not all of you are in my line of work. Um, but what I would encourage you to do is to start looking at your job more through the lens of the scriptures, more through like a biblical uh, pair of sunglasses. How how does my work influence uh, the kingdom? Is my work not just a place where I collect a paycheck, but is there some way that I can see the hand of God here and serve the kingdom of God here, uh, be a light for the world in this in this position I'm in. So, um, but let me do this. Let me share four different theological doctrines that have helped me navigate the ups and downs of being a firefighter. So here, here's the first one I would I would point to. It's the one that became most clear to me when I started. It is the doctrine of sin. 
the doctrine of sin in the Bible, in theological circles, they call this hamartiology. Uh, hamartia comes from the Greek word that means like you're missing the mark, you're, you're not hitting the target. And this is the study, the understanding of how the Bible portrays sin. And so here's what the Bible portrays. The Bible does not portray us as being good people. It doesn't portray us as being, uh, we're, we're good and sometimes we just make mistakes. It doesn't portray that. The Bible's rather offensive, actually, in how it portrays humankind. It's going to say things like uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we are objects of God's wrath, like by our very nature, by our birth, we are objects of his wrath because we have inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve. We have inherited this proclivity, this instinct to want to rebel against God, to do the opposite of what he has called us to do. We think that that's going to lead us to life. We think it's going to lead us to the fullness of, of joy and happiness, but it actually ends up destroying us. And Verses like Ephesians 2, it's going to say like when we took our first breath coming out of our mother's womb, this sinful nature was activated. This sinful nature fired up. In fact, Psalm 51, uh, let's see, Psalm 51, 5 is going to say that uh, David was conceived in iniquity, um, that like in his mother's womb, he had this sinful nature. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through uh, like 11, 12, 13, 14, it, it just continues on it it'll say that there's no one who's righteous there's no one who does what is good not even one every single person has turned aside every single person has rebelled against god i, I always joke this is why you don't have to teach two-year-olds how to disobey uh, you could never model for your little two-year-old how to steal a toy how to scream and throw a fit how to lie like you could never model that for your kid and they will still know how to do it um, because just like us, they are infected with sin. And, and then the Bible takes it even a step further. Not, not only are we infected with sin, but then all of creation is infected with sin. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says, creation is groaning under the weight of sin. Uh, this is part of the explanation for why there is like environmental chaos why there is disease, why there are tornadoes and avalanches and hurricanes and the, the peace and the shalom and the harmony that was once here on earth has been broken through sin. So sin isn't just a human problem. Uh, you could say that it is a, a creation problem. And one of the things we see about future end times theology is God doesn't just redeem mankind. He actually redeems creation. He, he fixes this creation that's straining and groaning under sin. Now, um, here's where I started to see this play out. Uh, I remember when I, I had just gotten onto the job, I was on probation. It was 4th of July and we got a call for an assault. And I remember pulling up, it was about uh, probably nine o'clock at night, they're lighting fireworks off everywhere. It was like, it was chaos. And we show up onto this, uh, get into the single family house, go into the front yard. Everybody's standing in the front yard. There's probably 15, 20 people in the front yard. And it was a grandma. A grandma had been assaulted by her teenage grandson. 
and he had taken out a pocket knife and he had stabbed her in the jaw. And I remember, I mean, I'd been on the job for maybe a month or two. And I was just like dumbfounded. Who in the world would stab their grandma in the jaw with a knife? Like, I don't care how bad the fight was, man. What compels somebody to do that? Um, a couple of years later, I was second into a fire. And the as we showed up on scene, uh, the engine that got there before us, they had started to pull a line. Uh, I was instructed to pull a backup line. So I'm, I'm stretching this line to uh, the, the we'll call it the seaside of the house. It's like the backside of the house. Uh, we're I'm stretching the line over this house. And as I'm got the hose up on my shoulder, as I'm starting to walk towards the back end of this house, I, I see this, see this lady walk by. And I, I didn't quite register it at first. I didn't quite get what I had just seen. Her eyes were real big. And I saw that her skin was like, it, it was falling off of her face. It was just like melting off of her, off of her body. And I, I like I said, I didn't really know what had happened. I just kind of kept going because I knew I had to get this hose to the door. And I, I knew I was going to be going interior and getting to fight some fire. So I was kind of like in, in aggressive go mode. But it wasn't until after the fire that we start talking with the cops about what happened. And it turns out that this lady who I saw, she was arguing with her, uh, it was her neighbor's boyfriend. And the neighbor's boyfriend kept parking his car in front of their driveway and they got into this big spat. And he, the neighbor's boyfriend, basically decided that he was going to set the woman and her whole house on fire. And so he got a can of gas and knocked on the front door. This lady comes to the front door. He douses her with gasoline and sets her on fire. All the while, her husband and daughter are in the back bathroom. He, the, the husband's giving the daughter a, a bath. And, and so, I mean, it catches on fire. She drops to the floor, stop dropping and rolling, gets some of the fire out, but the fire goes like crazy. She runs out the back door. Husband actually grabs the daughter, wraps her in a towel. He gets burned up running out the front door. Um, and, and I remember like piecing everything together and being like, oh my goodness, I saw her. I saw this woman all burned up and I start piecing it together. This whole thing. She ended up passing away. Uh, I think the husband and the daughter survived, but uh, uh, this whole thing happened over a parking spot. Like there's a daughter who doesn't have her mom anymore because of a parking spot. Like what compels somebody to this? Um, it, the Bible gives us an answer. The Bible, nothing prepares you for seeing something like that, but the Bible at least gives the explanation. This is what happens when man is infected with sin. When God told Adam and Eve, if you rebel, it will lead to death. And, and Satan told the lie, you won't surely die. And what he meant is like, you won't die immediately right here and now, but it will lead to death. It, it destroys. This is what sin does. The, the Bible is not being uh, overreactive when it describes sin. It really destroys. It really corrupts and makes us into these evil, selfish, conceited. I mean, it, it forces us into 
doing things that, that we just never would imagine ourselves doing. And like I said, nothing can prepare you for seeing that, but the Bible at least goes, here's what happens when mankind is left to his own devices. Here's why I had to come, you know, that like Jesus had to come and and rescue us. Uh, Because man, stuff like that makes you realize, oh, the Bible really is telling the truth about man. Um, The Bible's not trying to just be dramatic. When it says we're infected with sin, And we need a savior when it says things like Jeremiah 17, like the heart is desperately sick and it is deceitful above all things. um, It's not just trying to be cute. It's accurately describing what man is like. Um, And I guess the best way to to just put this kind of into perspective here is to, to just say that if you don't have this kind of a theological framework, it, it can be really disorienting when people act the way sin is going to make them act. You know, it can be really like, I can't believe somebody would do this. I can't believe, you know, what compels somebody to this? The Christian has the answer of going, yeah, I know it's crazy. I can't believe somebody would do this. It, it's sin. This is what sin does. This is what an unchecked sinful nature produces. It just produces death and chaos and violence. And not that it made it any easier. I mean, it was still like a crazy thing to, to process and, and talk that through with people. And, uh, but it does help me go, okay, man, I, dude, the Bible's not lying to us. The Bible is telling the truth about man. Um, and, and that has been kind of helpful. It's been helpful in a, a strange little way. So there's the first one, the doctrine of sin. Let me show you the second one here, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, specifically the fact that the Lord gives life and the Lord takes life away. So when I say sovereignty, what I mean is that God is perfectly in control. Uh, He is in control. He is calling the shots. There is nothing happening right now that is outside of his knowing, outside of his plan, outside of his control. And part of the sovereignty of God is, is the fact that he gives life and he takes life away. This is most notably in 1 Samuel 2, verse 6. In 1 Samuel 2, 6, what we have is is this really challenging, like it's kind of hard to hear, but it's also a very clear picture of God's domain and God's authority over life. 1 Samuel 2, 6 says, The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Um, here's why this has been really, really helpful for me, especially as a, as a firefighter. We are called into, you know, into matters of death and life, death and life all the time. Um, we get calls for uh, people that are in full cardiac arrest. We get calls for people who have been in major vehicle accidents and they're pinned in and they're, they're bleeding out. Um, people that are trapped in fires, people who have overdosed, uh, I mean, strokes, seizures, like the whole gambit. I mean, all that stuff there, if you're not careful, there is a pressure that you can start to put on yourself that I'm responsible for saving this person, this person's life. Like it's on me to make sure that this person is rescued. You know, that's kind of what all firefighters sign up for. Like we want to help people in their worst moments. And, and that's a good motivation. 
but here's the problem with it. Um, you're going to have a lot of calls where you did your best and it didn't turn out like it didn't turn out well. Um, just, uh, about a month ago, we had a 42 year old dad, a dad of two kids. He had a 10 year old boy and an eight year old boy. And, um, the guy went into full cardiac arrest. Uh, he had been battling the flu for a little bit and was up in bed, was just resting. And, um, yeah, I mean, the wife came in and checked on him and, and saw he wasn't breathing. And, and so we got there and, uh, I mean, we were greeted by his 10 year old son at the door telling us his dad was upstairs and, uh, the kids just wide eyed. And, uh, you know, I remember him asking, please help my dad. Can you please help my dad? And we went up there and man, we, we worked the guy for about 20 minutes, did CPR our full, you know, we gave him all the drugs we could give him. We shocked him. We, we did, we threw everything in the kitchen sink at this guy to try and get his heart started back up. And, uh, we just, we couldn't, couldn't get it back up. Couldn't get it going again. Um, and that that's rough, man, because like you, you got this 10 year old kid who's like counting on you to try and get their dad back. Um, and, and if you really let that kind of weight set in, it, it's just devastating. Like it's just crushing. Um, and, and here's where like a theological understanding of God's sovereignty is really helpful. Uh, the Bible's clear. The Lord gives life and the Lord takes life away. That weight isn't on my shoulders. Uh, the Lord has given me a skill set. I've been trained to help. Maybe by God's grace, I, I can be used to help rescue and help save someone. But ultimately, um, that responsibility doesn't rest with me. Uh, the Lord gives that and the Lord takes life away. He is the author of life. He is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, according to Hebrews. Um, like that's not me. And so I, I want to make sure I'm sharp. I want to make sure I know my skills well. I want to make sure I, I do the right treatments. I want to make sure that I, I act with precision and skill. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, I have to know my limitations. Like the Lord is the one who gives life and he is the one that takes it away. And, and there's just a little bit of peace. There's a little bit of freedom. Um, it doesn't fix like that call sucked. It doesn't fix that. You know, it doesn't fix. It's not like you just magically float away on a Jesus cloud and like, there's no struggle there, you know, um, because I can still see that kid's face. I can still see the neighbor, you know, pulling the kid out the front door and, uh, you know, he went to go get his little blue iPad and, and like he wanted to play little games on his iPad while we're, you know, working on his dad. Um, and just knowing like this kid, this kid's about to lose his dad. Um, like that, man, that's, that's heavy, but I have to rest on the Lord's sovereignty. I have to come back to God. You are in control. You take life, you give life. It, it's, it was yours to begin with. It's all yours to begin with. Um, and I believe Lord that you are good. Like I believe Genesis 18, that the, the Lord will do the judge of all the earth will do what is right. Even if I don't understand it, even if I can't make sense of it, even if I'm like, dude, what in the world? Why did you do this? I have to believe Isaiah 55, like your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. Um, so the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty has just kind of helped my heart wrestle with some of these hard calls. 
I had uh, three teenagers that got into a car crash. Uh, they got pinned in the car and the car caught on fire and all three of these teenagers died. They all burned alive in this car. And uh, I was on the truck company that responded. We had to cut these bodies out of the car. Um, and and the parents, the family were behind the police line, the caution tape. And, you know, I can still hear them. I can still see them crying and falling to their knees, screaming and wailing because their kids died. I don't know why the Lord allowed that. I don't know. Uh, this side of heaven, I'm probably never going to know. Um, but I know that that the Lord gave them life to begin with, and it's his right to take it whenever he wants. I know that the judge of the earth will do what is right. Um, I know that that his thoughts are higher than mine. And, and I just have to kind of lean back on the sovereignty of God. Um, I had a two-year-old that drowned. I mean, we did CPR on this little kid for, gosh, man, maybe an hour. I mean, we did everything we could to try and get this kid back. Happened at a Super Bowl party of all things. Kid fell in the pool, and um, it was just horrendous. The whole situation, the the family was there. Like, they had been watching the kid. Like, they were trying to, to, to pay close attention, but the kid just slipped their attention for a little bit. And um, it was just, I mean, just rough. Like, so... Uh, once again, you know, if, if you're taking the responsibility of life into your own hands, like that's just a, a an impossible weight for any human heart to carry. Um, and, and I have to go back to Lord, you gave this little two-year-old life. And when you deem fit, you, you'll take it back. And that's your right. I, I don't have the right to question you on that. And I trust that that it's all part of your plan. I trust that it's, you have morally sufficient reasons to do that. Um, is that easy? Is that clean? No, it's not. Uh, there's wrestle there, but it, it, it is helpful. Like that does kind of take some of the pressure off. It does take some of the, uh, like the post incident stress. It, it does take some of that off knowing, man, ultimately God's in control here. So uh, doctrine of sin has been helpful to, to navigate understanding why humans are the way they are. The doctrine of God's sovereignty just takes some of the pressure off dealing with these life and death situations because the Lord gives life, the Lord takes life away. Uh, well, let me tell you now about the doctrine of God's wrath. This might seem like a strange thing to talk about. A lot of people have a hard time with the wrath of God. Over the years, um, the wrath of God has become, uh, it used to be a real struggle for me. It's become more of like a comfort. It's become more of a warm blanket. And let me, let me explain why. Um, one of the hard parts uh, about this job is, is coming across children who have been abused, uh, children who have been, um, I mean, they just, they just got bad parents. Their parents are just terrible. Um, you know, me personally, uh, come across a, a kid that was sexually trafficked. Um, that was pretty rough. Uh, came across a kid that was beaten, uh, pretty severely with a flashlight. Um, and I, I work with some guys who have, you know, they've, they've been on calls with kids that were beaten with extension cords, kids that got into their parents' drugs. Um, yeah, I mean, just all kinds of stuff like that. And, for me, that creates a lot of anger. It creates a lot of frustration. It creates uh, a lot of confusion um, because a lot of times this stuff happens and 
uh, it happens with like little to no consequences. And if it's not kids, I mean, you just see it elsewhere. There's just evil. There's evil all over the place. And a lot of times it seems like this evil doesn't get addressed. There's corruption. The corruption doesn't get fixed. There's violence. The violence doesn't get checked. Um, there's abuse to those who are weak and those who are like innocent and these poor little kids who, who can't defend themselves. And like, how in the world, Lord, are, are you just allowing this to happen? And so it's actually become kind of a, a comfort to me is uh, Revelation chapter 19. It is uh, towards the end of the Bible. And it is this crazy passage about Jesus returning to the earth and destroying evil. Um, there's a lot of debate about how and when and what exactly this is going to look like. That debate's all fun, but like, here's what everybody agrees on. There is coming a day where Jesus definitively ends all evil. He calls all unrighteousness to account and he judges it and he executes good and right wrath against those who made their life all about evil. And that has become kind of a, a comfort to me. Um, it's become a comfort because it, it lets me know there is no, there's no evil that is going to escape the judgment and the wrath of Jesus. There's no evil that will be unaccounted for. And so while I see it like right here and now, and it may seem like it's kind of getting away, like the, the evil's not getting dealt with the way it should, uh, the, the promise in Revelation 19 and, and then even in Revelation chapter 20, uh, the promise that Jesus is going to judge. He's going to call it all to account. He's going to publicly call people who have made their whole life about sin, who are unrepentant, who they snubbed the grace and the kindness of Jesus for their entire life, and they made their life all about sin and destruction. There's coming a day where, where that will be dealt with, and it will be dealt with by a perfect judge. Once again, Genesis 18, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. He will do what is right. Um, so just seeing a lot of the chaos and the evil and the brokenness that you see when you're in a job like this, the wrath of God has become kind of a comfort knowing that the offer of salvation is there. Please repent. Please repent. Please turn to Christ. Please let Christ be the one who absorbed your wrath. Please let Christ be the lamb that's taken away your sin. But if you don't, it is helpful to know that evil will not ultimately win, that the Bible is promising and guaranteeing there's coming a day where King Jesus, he will make it right. He will destroy and he will defeat evil. He's not a weak, impotent God. He's mighty. Um, the scriptures describe him as a lion, as a consuming fire. And there's something about that that's just comforting to my soul. Once again, it's not a magical potion. It's It can be cold comfort at, time, at times. It, it doesn't fix the sting you're feeling right in the here and now. But it at least helps a little bit to know like, all right, God, I trust that one day you're going to set this right. Doctrine of sin, doctrine of God's sovereignty, doctrine of God's wrath. And then uh, I'll end with this one, uh, just the gospel. And here's what I mean by the gospel. Uh, I mean that Jesus Christ 
came and vicariously substituted himself on the cross for my sin and, and shame. He paid that death penalty that I should have paid. Uh, I am guilty of sin. I have rebelled against him. I have, I have tried to usurp the king. I've committed treason against a good, perfect God, and, and I'm guilty. Guilty as the day is long. But Christ, in his great love for me and for you, I mean, he came and, and paid that death penalty on my behalf so that I wouldn't have to pay it. Um, here's what the gospel does. It's not just a belief. It's not just a theoretical idea. What the gospel does is it actually, um, it frees us up to not be perfect. Like it allows us, it already calls us out. You're not perfect. You're not Superman. You're not bulletproof. You're a sinner. That's the whole reason why I had to come. You have weaknesses upon weakness. Uh, the gospel kind of like it, it pulls up our skirt, so to speak. Like it kind of shows us who we already are. It shows like you're not Superman. You're a sinner and, and you need grace. And, and here's why that's so cool. Like here's why that's helpful for me. Uh, as a firefighter, what our job is, uh, and, and if you're in other first response work or, or you're uh, maybe in the military, like what, what we get paid to do is to fix problems. There's a problem. We get called upon to fix it. And that builds into us kind of a psychology that like, we can't ever have problems. We're the ones that solve problems. Um, and, and there's a pride that can sometimes come with it of like, you know, I'm the one that always solves the issue. I'm not the one that has the issue. I'm the one that fixes problems, not the one that has problems. What the gospel does is the gospel goes, no, 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 man, you got a major sin problem. You are guilty. You need a savior. You're full of sin. You, you have inherited this sinful nature from Adam and Eve. It's made you rebellious to God. It makes you foolish. You think you're wise, but you're actually an idiot. You think you know the pathway to life, but it ends up getting you killed. Like you need a savior. You need somebody to show you the right way to go. Um, and, and so there's kind of just some freedom in the gospel to go, okay, I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be Superman. I don't have to be bulletproof. I don't have to be the one that always fixes problems and doesn't ever have problems because that's not real life. We all are, we all have problems. We all have stuff that like we're weak. We all have areas that like we're not armored up in. We're not super bulletproof in. Um, and the gospel gives us the freedom to say, okay, I need help here. Okay, I need to admit I'm struggling here okay, it's, I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by my performance. Like I don't have to be spot on all the time. It, it, the gospel allows me to go, okay, here's where I'm weak and, and let me get help. Here's where I'm struggling. Let me get help because I, I'm not saved by being good enough. I'm saved because Christ was good enough for me. Uh, I'm not saved because I fixed enough problems. I, I'm saved because I admitted I have a problem and I need the one who can actually fix me. Um, so all I'm trying to say there is that the gospel gives us that peace to just kind of drop our guard at times and go, Hey, I'm struggling here. I need help. Hey, it, it, uh, it's safe. The gospel has already outed me. I'm not perfect. I'm weak. I'm a sinner. Why keep pretending like I'm Superman? I'm not. Here's where I'm struggling. Can you help me here? And man, this is hard for especially firemen to do. Um, firefighters tend to be both men and women tend to be very proud, very hardworking, very self-driven. Um, 
And, and it's oftentimes hard for us to go, dude, I'm struggling. I need help here. The gospel just goes, hey, man, you're loved by Christ. You're held secure by what he did for you. Uh, you are forgiven by grace, not your performance. Um, it's okay, man. Show your cards. It's okay. Confess. Get help. It's okay. Admit that you're weak. Uh, that stuff isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign actually of strength. And it's it's where real healing starts. Um so the security the gospel brings has been a, a real encouragement for me to to show my cards when they're hard to show. So, doctrine of sin, doctrine of God's sovereignty, doctrine of God's wrath, and the gospel. These are big theological ideas that are not just ideas. They're very practical. Um, and I hope Hope this gives you some things to think about. And I hope that maybe, as I said earlier, it brings up some stuff in your own job, some areas where you can see the Lord specifically kind of working in your context. And uh, I'm really convinced that in work, there's not this sacred secular divide that we oftentimes put up. God has called all people to work unto his glory, to work as if we're working for Christ. Um, and, And here are a couple of things that have helped me navigate the the highs and lows of my job in a way that's uh in a way that's a little more biblical and a little more christian so appreciate you listening thank you for making it this far um appreciate you guys i love you thank you for listening i'll see you on the next podcast all right bye Hey, real quick before you go, thank you again for checking out this episode of the Chad Blackman Podcast. If you could do me a solid and like this, share it, rate it, do whatever you can do on the platform you're listening to to help this get to more people, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for your support. God bless you.